All right, welcome to the first Web Gems Fantasy Podcast. Uh, I'm here with Kenny, Uncle Kenny, Dad. How are you doing today? Great. Excited to uh, try this out. Yeah, I I don't think we have a name for the podcast yet. I originally wanted to do something like Dungeons and Dragons because it's fantasy. Uh, and I was able to come up with Hunjins for Hunjin Ryu, but I couldn't come up with anything decent for dragons. The closest was Blackman, like Charlie Blackman. Oh, Hunjins yeah. and Blackmans. Uh, but anyway... Uh, okay, we're going to start off with uh, a little Web Gems history, uh, and then we're going to get into talking about how last season went, um, looking forward to next year, and we're going to look at four teams for keeper analysis, your team, Brad's team, Scott's team, and my team, because we're all lowest in the standings. May, um, if I can make a suggestion, you may want to introduce yourself. Yes, I'm, I'm El Jefe. Okay. I'm El Jefe. Uh, uh, Cyberpunk slash year Hulk Hogan. Um, and then we'll end with a little talk about uh, fielding percentage and how you can use that to your advantage. All right, ready? Yeah. All right, so I want to start first with talking about how we got started in fantasy baseball. What is your recollection of how we got started? Well, it's interesting. Um, I've always been a baseball fan, but um, there reached a time when in 2004, my interest in baseball was waning to some extent. But someone at work uh, was starting a fantasy baseball league, and I'd never done that. And he invited me to play, and uh, they were looking for more participants, and so I invited you to play. And uh, <clears throat> we both participated that uh, first year, and I think uh, represented ourselves pretty well. But there were things about there were the good things about the league, which we've kept uh, uh, to this day. But there were things we didn't like about it. And uh, we decided to start our own league, and you sort of spearheaded that and got it set up and going. Yeah, I remember you asking me if I wanted to play, and I wasn't really that much into baseball at the time either. My interest had waned a lot. I think I was, I don't know, probably mostly football, a lot of basketball, not much baseball. Um, And I remember saying, sure, why not? And then I remember the morning of the draft, I think I'd been out late with my friends and you had to come and wake me up and tell me you got that fantasy draft going soon and I didn't really want to get up but uh, I did it anyway and I remember basically drafting from a fantasy magazine because uh, I didn't really know anyone um, and then yeah we we did really well we got first and second place uh, and just really loved the game and it really reinvigorated baseball for me and I think that really continues. I think one of my big loves of baseball right now is playing fantasy. So, yeah. And then I think I think I actually ended up joining two other teams that season, uh, kind of like mid year because I just kind of was craving more. So I think I joined two other teams, and then we started our own league after that. Um, and then there, of course, we have to tell the famous quarter incident from that season. Uh, well, first of all, there was a lot of controversy that season because I think everyone was really into it. Um, I think there were nine teams, and they were all from your work, right, except for me? Correct. Um, and there was a lot of gamesmanship going on, including people vetoing trades um, and things like that. What do you remember about that? Uh, first of all, I think that was a very diplomatic word to use when you say gamesmanship. 
<laughs> uh, we had a commissioner who had the person who had started the league, um, and he was very competitive. And um, early on in in playing fantasy baseball, I embraced the idea of trading, and um, as a, especially as a means to improve your team. So I was trying to make trades, and we did have a veto uh, component to the league, uh, and this commissioner was running around um, behind my back and yours because he didn't let you know either, um, trying to um, uh, get other people to veto any trades that I was making that he thought might be beneficial to me. And um, that has led us to uh, the, having a no veto policy in our current league because we didn't want that kind of activity um, taking place right yeah you don't you won't want vetoing to be a strategy um, you want people to be able to trade players and I think from what I've read for most of the fantasy community pretty much everyone is you know, there's no vetoes unless there's obvious collusion going on um, that is kind of unfair to the rest of the league but uh, yeah that was the reason we didn't we decided not to do any vetoes at all because it was such an awful experience right <laughs> Uh, and then the, the the big famous incident, which I'm totally over by now. <laughs> Except you keep bringing it up. <laughs> it's, it's a fun story. It's a fun story. It was about halfway through the season, I think we were very competitive in that league. And like I said, I even, he had even joined other teams. And we were both really complete, competing for the championship. And I remember at the All-Star break, I was reading up on certain players, like a, like a buy-sell list. And one of the buy players was Johan Santana. And because uh, he hadn't played quite as well as people thought he could at that point, and he was maybe poised for a nice second half. So I went to see whose team he was on, and I, I can't remember the name of the team or, or who even the player was. You can probably enlighten me, but uh, it was Jim Stewart. Jim Stewart. Okay, yeah. I don't remember him. Uh, and I remember looking looking at which team Santana was on. I was like, oh well, that guy hasn't been active. Like he's not even setting his lineup. He hasn't made ads you know since the first maybe couple months of the season a uh, month or two maybe and I thought oh that's not even worth sending anything over the guy's just basically not playing right now um, but you were interested in Santana too and how did you handle realizing whose team he was on well I knew whose team he was on uh, right away and uh, I immediately sent him a trade offer and uh, there was no response. And of course, we worked together. We were on the same floor. Uh, it was about a 10-second walk or 15-second walk from my desk to his. And um, so, you know, I went over there and asked him. I said, hey, I sent you a trade. He said, no, oh, you know, I'm not really that interested right now. And, um, but he says, you know, if, if I feel like it, I'll look. But he, day, a couple of days went by, he didn't look. And um, one thing I knew about Jim was he was collecting the, uh, at that time, the Mint was issuing uh, quarters, state quarters, uh, you know, different quarters by, by state. Mm -hmm. And uh, I knew that Jim was collecting those. And so I knew the new one had just been released. I don't know how I knew that because it wasn't something I was following. But I happened to have it. Oh, I know. I, I think Grandma, your Grandma got me into that but anyway and so I went to Jim and I said do you have this newest quarter and he said no and I said well if I were to give you the newest quarter 
Would you at least look at the trade? <laughs> uh, and that caught Jim's attention, and he agreed. And uh, as you've often said, probably didn't really even look at the trade. He just accepted it. Um, and so I've been accused by you of buying Johan Santana for a quarter. Well, there you have it, people. I guess you have to make your own decision. <laughs> uh, we ended up being first and second. You had 173 points. I had 170 and a half. So I lost by two and a half points. Uh, looking at the standings, I'm trying to see if that would have made a difference. You beat, uh, you had 86 wins and I had 84. So that definitely could have flip-flopped. You had two more complete games and one more shutout. And I, I remember Santana being a complete game guy. I don't remember how many, if any, he had in the second half. But I would guess he probably had at least one, maybe two, that could have been a difference maker. To that point, um, the thing I do remember about Santana, both that year and in succeeding years, as he was good, was his manager. And I don't remember who the Twins manager was at the time, but he had a propensity for yanking Santana after eight innings, even though he might have only had eight in innings pitched, um, et cetera. They had Joe Nathan, I think, was relief pitching at the time, and they would just bring him in as a kind of an automatic uh, save. And so um, he may have gotten a complete game or two, but not as many as you might have thought. Actually, I'm looking at it, and you're right. He, he did have one complete game shutout. Um, I don't know whether that came in the first or second half, though, so that's hard to say. Um, but he did have a 261 ERA, an 092 whip, and a 491 K to walk, which I, I think at the time was pretty, like, super elite. Um, and you did beat me. Um, I had about 40 more walks. You had about 50 more strikeouts. Um, your ERA was about 13 points better. Your whip was three points better. Your K to walk was like 39 points better or 40 points better. Um, so it would have been interesting. <laughs> I wish we could see what that really made a difference or not. I think it, it definitely would have been closer if I had had Santana instead of you. But anyway, uh, that's history. Um, the other one we want to talk about was our first year starting our own league, um, which uh, was 2005. Uh, it was called Major League, and we had 10 teams. I'm going to go through the list of teams uh, in, for the final standing. So that year was Skills That Kills 1. That was Justin. Uh, Say Hey Kid, of course. Uh, that was you, although I noticed it's capitalized. I don't know. I think I remember going in and changing your name to capitalize it or something at that point that season. But you got second place. Global Jim Cobras was me. I was third. Fourth place, Kennewick Lions. That was Eric. Fifth place was She Mullets, which is David. Sixth place was Black Mambas, that was Brandon. Seventh place was San Francisco Seals, which was... Norm Gutierrez. Uh, someone you worked with. And then eighth and ninth place, we can't figure out who they are. Eighth place was the Renegades, and ninth place was the Penguins. I don't remember if Brad and or Angela were playing at that time. I could see the Renegades being one of those two, and I just don't remember who the Penguins were. Uh, and then 10th place was Rocketman. That was Sean Ireland, uh, my old friend of mine. Was Robbie Munoz playing then? No, no, no. Okay. No, I don't think I even knew him back then. All right. Um, <laughs> I did want to read. There are some messages on the message board um, from a couple of people. Uh, I wrote, so this is from March of that year. It's 
that's called Trade Vetoes, and it's by me. And I wrote, Now, we strongly discourage trade vetoing unless a trade seems terribly one-sided. However, the Perez-Sosa for Abreu-Tomco trade was accepted on accident, so it was vetoed. I take the blame. I was writing a reply, and when I finished, I wasn't paying attention and clicked the wrong button. Sorry, guys, blah, 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 blah. So nothing really interesting there. Uh, for innings pitch, I talk about changing. Oh, so this is when we changed the maximum innings pitched from 1250 to 1400 because that's actually closer to the regular season. Uh, and then it's very harsh message from you. Me, a harsh? Uh huh. It says, Hey guys, look over current information on players before making a trade. Renegades really put one over on you, Googleies. By trading a part-time player and a sore-armed pitcher for two good-hitting players. David, look before you leap. Then this won't happen in the future. I'm guessing David was the you Googleies. I'm presuming at so. At that time, and he must have changed, must his, have name changed his name at some yeah. point. Uh, <laughs> I just wish we knew because I can't see the trade data. I don't know who, uh, I don't know who the trade involved right. exactly, but... Anyway, uh, and then I wanted to look at just a couple of players from each of the teams. Um, so Justin, Skills the Kills, uh, some of his big players were uh, David Ortiz and Albert Pujols. They both they had 47 and 41 home runs, respectively, that season, with OPSs over 1,000, and both of them hit at least 300. Boy, I think it's worth mentioning a couple of those other hitters on his team, too, just to highlight yeah, yeah. how good his team really was. Yeah, namely... Well, namely Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, and uh, uh, Vlad Guerrero. Yeah, both of those had around 500 at-bats. They weren't quite full seasons, but they were still fantastic years, 35 and 32 home runs. OPS over 900, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Pitching-wise, uh, he had uh, Joe Blanton actually had two, two complete games for him that year. Josh Towers had two complete games and a shutout. Irvin Santana, who I believe is still an active pitcher, um, and then he had Noah Lowry uh, from the Giants. Um, but it didn't seem like he had a whole lot else besides that. Um, I had uh, my big players were uh, I had Adam Dunn, who only hit two forty seven, but he had forty home runs and a nine twenty seven OPS. That's kind of how Adam Dunn used to do things. Mark Teixeira, one hundred forty four RBIs that year. And he hit 301 with a 954 OPS and 43 home runs. I'm surprised his OPS was so actually not higher considering his batting average of yeah. home runs. He must not have. He just didn't probably just didn't walk as much as other guys. Uh, pitchers, I had Josh Beckett that year. He had two complete games and a shutout. Uh, Joe Nathan had 43 saves back before uh, net saves holds. Uncle Eric's favorite stat. Um, Carlos Zambrano, who if I recall. Always pitched very well at home and terrible away. Terrible splits, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you had uh, Lance Berkman, who was usually only good for about 500 at-bats, but they were going to be good at-bats. Uh, Gary Sheffield, Todd Helton, Matt Holliday, back when he was with the Rockies, I presume, although he didn't have that great of a season that year. David Wright. David Wright. Yeah, 27 home runs, 17 steals. He, he was a great all-around player to have. And just to mention a name that blasts from the past, Grady Sizemore, who was always a desirable player but was just injured a lot. Yeah. And I didn't get a lot out of him that year either. 
Yeah, well, I mean, he's, yeah. Well, well, he had 640 at-bats that season. He went 20-20. He was 22-22. Oh, I'm sorry. I misread that. Um, okay. He had 111 runs, but uh, his OPS, 832, not that great, but it was fine. Um, you had Chris Carpenter, seven complete games and four shutouts. 21-5 and five record, 283 ERA, 106 whip, 418 K to walk. 22 ground and double plays. He, he, must, he might have been the best pitcher that year. Oh, and you also had Santana who threw in three complete games and two shutouts himself with awesome stats. So that was really good. Uh, Rocketman, Sean, he had come in last place. He had, uh, gosh, I see why. <laughs> oh, he had Richie Sexton. That's an old name. Uh, 263 with a 910 OPS, 39 home runs, 121 RBIs. Uh, he had John Smoltz, three complete games, a shutout, 306, 115, 319. Web Jim Slash. For, uh, pitching Brandon Webb, Bob Wickman, forty-five saves. Brandon Webb was a real desirable pitcher until he got uh, his career ended from injury. Yeah, yeah, that's what I remember. Um, we'll skip over the Penguins and uh, the Renegades because we don't know who they were. Uh, Eric, who sticks out to you for uh, from Eric's squad? Well, Miguel Cabrera. Oh, yeah, 946 OPS, 33 be, homers. Be a big one. Ryan Howard, Paul Canerco. Um, Ryan Howard, it looks like he only had half a season. Maybe that was his first year. Uh, yeah, Paul Canerco looks really good there. Hideki Matsui, Johnny Peralta. Johnny Peralta. Uh, just like throwing out old names. Carl Crawford, back when he was a borderline first-round pick. Because he stole so many bases. He had right. 46 that year. And 15 home runs isn't bad. Right. Out of a guy that hits 46 home runs. Pitching-wise, uh, I don't know. What are you seeing? Uh, Cliff Lee, definitely. Uh, ER, yeah, he's a little high, but he had 18, 18 wins. Yeah, I think this was his breakout season. I, I think so. Uh, he had a, Yeah, he had a complete game. Decent ratios. Not great. Roy Oswalt, four complete games and a shutout. Yeah. Um, Eddie Guardado I forgot wasn't he the Mariners I do not remember I think Eddie Guardado was yeah. the Mariners guy now the Yugulis slash Shimolets David's team um, oh, Benji Molina sounds like a David pick Ooh, Troy Gloss Jason Giambi both had pretty good seasons that year Ichiro he had Ichiro 303 batting average 33 stolen bases, 15 home runs. What else you got? Uh, well, he didn't play a full season, but Tony Clark bears mentioning um, he had an OPS. He had 349 at-bats and had 30 home runs and an OPS of over 1,000. And Tony Clark is now the president of the Major League Baseball Players Association. I had no idea. Yeah. I, I vaguely remember Tony Clark. Yeah. Um... Um, pitching, pitching wise, he had uh, well. Brad Lidge got him forty two saves. Greg Maddox that season, four twenty four ERA, one twenty two WHIP, three seventy eight K to walk. Kind of end of his career. Yeah, he did have three complete games, um, twenty one ground double plays. Uh, a couple complete game guys, Bartolo Colon. Oh, yeah, Bartolo Colon still. Well, he's not in now, but um, that was that his Cy Young year. 21 uh, wins. That probably was. 348 ERA. I remember his ERA was a little higher. In fact, I thought it was higher than that during his Cy Young year, but maybe it wasn't. 
But he, I remember he won off the strength of his wins. Uh, right? Yeah, wins had carried much more weight. There was a lot of argument about there were other pitchers who pitched better during the season, but he won, as you mentioned, by because of his wins. He was the only pitcher to win 20 games. Okay, yeah, and this was 2005. Uh, all right, last, uh, let's look at one more team. We'll look at Brandon's team, Black Mambas. What do you see there? Uh, well. Oh, my goodness. 51 home runs. Andrew Jones. Oh, yeah. Andrew Jones. 128 RBIs, 922 OPS. And yet his OPS, well, I mean, 922 is nothing to sneeze at, but with 51 home runs, you'd think it would be over 1,000 or close to Yeah, I'm seeing his walks are pretty low. 64 walks and 586 at-bats. So over 600 plate appearances, only 64 walks. That's... That's a maybe a ten percent rate, maybe. Uh, you got a thirty thirty guy in there, Alfonso uh, Soriano. Oh, Alfonso Soriano, right? Michael Young hitting three thirty one. Yeah. Michael Young was uh, he had a, he had a good bat. Uh, Morgan Ensberg, Pat Burrell. Uh, pitching wise, uh, John Garland. I feel like did he have like one good year? And was this it? I don't remember. I remember John Garland being relevant, but I feel like he had like he was one of those guys that had one good year, and then for the next few years, people drafted him with the hope that he would replicate it. But I don't remember him ever doing so. Uh, Randy Johnson, yeah, seventeen wins, four complete games, three seventy nine ERA. Yeah, his strikeouts were definitely low by that time. Two hundred eleven strikeouts in two hundred twenty five innings. Yeah, he was definitely fading. Dontrell Willis, that was, was that his rookie oh, year? Gosh. Because he had a great year. I forgot how good he was. 22 wins, 7 complete games, and 5 shutouts. 263 ERA, 113 whip. That was amazing. I remember he hit really well too, didn't he? Uh, yes, he was a good hitter too. Uh, yeah, Dontrell Willis, was. he had a couple, at least one or two really good seasons. Okay, uh, we're going to uh, stop here, take a short little break, and then we'll come back and talk about uh, David's team and how last year went and uh, how David was able to win the league. All right, we're back, and we're going to move in to talk about last season and how things went. Um, congratulations to David, first-time winner. He's the seventh person to win the league. Um, Justin has won twice. He won the, the first season, 05, and he won in uh, 2011. Uh, I think right after he came back from his mission, right? Uh, right. Uh, you've won three times, 06, 08, and 09, so you're also um, a back-to-back winner. Uh, Eric has won three times, 07, 2010, and 2016. Uh, Scott's won twice. He's a back-to-back winner in 2012, 2013. Uh, followed by Brandon with back-to-back wins in 2014 and 2015. Uh, I've won twice, a back-to-back winner, 17 and 18. And then David last year in 2019. Uh, I want to talk for a moment about David and how he was able to win the league, um, especially because I'm looking back. that I did a draft review. I don't know if you remember I did a draft review after the draft last season, um, and I reached out to everyone to ask them what they felt about their draft and how they felt about their prospects moving forward. And David said, um, he texted me, this is how I felt the whole draft, and it's this gif of 
some guy just casually sitting back in a chair with glasses on and he's just kind of throwing his hands up in the air like he has no idea what's going on. And David said, I'm really kind of unsure about my team. I don't feel like I drafted well and I definitely don't feel like I have a top seven team. Uh, Which is really interesting because he actually, I think that's why he won. I think he drafted really well. Um, I had put for my favorite value picks of his, which ended up being pretty true, was Josh Donaldson at $7. Um, I wrote, last time we saw Donaldson healthy, he was still an elite hitter. I like Donaldson's chances of returning to form better than Miguel Cabrera, which did end up being true because Miguel Cabrera was terrible and Donaldson ended up being elite again. I liked his pick of Wilson Ramos at $8. Um, I don't remember how well Wilson Ramos did for David. Um, I feel like he was maybe hurt a bit last year. Um, I'll have to kind of see if I can find it. But uh, And then the other pick I really liked of his, which ended up being vital to his success, was Hunjin Ryu at $3. Um, I had written, uh, he was utterly dominant last year in a little over 80 innings. If he can give 100 solid innings this season, $3 is a great deal, and anything more is just pure frosting. And I think he gave a lot more than 100 innings. Uh, yes. Um, do you have any... Uh, any thoughts on David's team and why you think he did so well? Um, I think, you know, you've highlighted you know, a lot of the things that uh, serve David well. Um, uh, I just think, uh, you know, David has always been a guy that drafts people which aren't necessarily the big stars, but they seem to be, uh, you know, uh, worthy of... Uh, of uh, Worthy is not the word I want to use. They just seem to be able to produce good stats. And, you know, like Riot Ryu uh, was a good example of that. Uh, most of us ignored him, obviously, because he got him for $3. And the same thing with Donaldson, for that matter. Uh, he was coming off an injury season, as I recall. So, uh, yeah, I just think, uh, you know, he positioned himself well with the guys that he had. and And then... I guess the big thing was at the end between him and Brandon, you know, they had this, you know, going out and trading for guys that people weren't going to keep. And, you know, David picked up a a few big names. I don't, he picked up uh, Max Scherzer, although I don't know how much Scherzer really helped him because it seems to recall Scherzer was somewhat hurt. Yeah, I think so. Um, But, you know, I mean, he had guys like Aaron Judge, um, Oh, he did trade for Chris Bryant. Got Chris Bryant towards the end, and he made some good pickups. Like on the, I think in the draft, like Bogarts, who had fallen off a little bit the previous year, but you know he did pretty well with him and so on. So yeah, and he had Michael Brantley, uh, which at yeah. the time I thought was an overpay at fifteen dollars, but Brantley ended up having a really nice season. He hit three eleven with an eight seventy five OPS, solid run, solid RBIs. Not going to kill you home runs. Uh, His big thing is he doesn't strike out. Um, So that really mitigates guys like Aaron Judge or Chris Bryant who tend to strike out a little bit more um, and really helps buffer uh, those statistics. I think he – I remember – I think I was going to do a write-up at the end of last season, but I got really into fantasy football. But one of the things I did was I was was trying to go with the theme of looking at the draft and how teams drafted and – how successful the players on their draft were and then comparing that to where the teams ended in the standings 
And if I remember, David came out with the the best draft. Like if you just look at only the players in the draft, you ignored ads and drops and all that. David had a really good draft um, going through the list. So his highest paid player was Carlos Carrasco, who obviously didn't work out for very unfortunate reasons. Um, but Freddie Freeman, $36, worth it. Charlie Blackman, $36, worth it. Uh, Tanaka, $32, not really worth it, but he does provide you know, a nice K-to-walk ratio, so he's not a total loss. Patrick Corbin at $30, pretty much worth it. Xander Bogarts at 22 was fantastic. Michael Brantley at 15 was fantastic. Wilson Ramos, again, he didn't end up with Wilson Ramos on his team. I don't know how he did. But Aaron Judge at $7, even in the half a season he played, really good, worth $7. Josh Donaldson, $7. Hunjin Ryu, $3. Uh, he drafted Yuli Gurriel, who he didn't end up with, I don't think. No. Um, he had a bunch of $1 guys that didn't end up being much, but Jeff Samarge ended up being okay. You know, he's you know a nice fill-in at the end of your rotation, but... I think David just drafted really well, and then he just played his players. He didn't make too many moves. He didn't tinker too much. And then he made you know some moves to stay competitive at the end of the season as you know, people like uh, Brandon were really making a push on him. So I think having a good draft and just kind of not tinkering too much and then just staying active, I think anyone can win that way. And I think David showed that last year. Um... Okay, uh, moving on to any other thoughts about last season before we move on to next season? Um, no, I think it was fun watching David and Brandon, you know, fight it out to the end. We saw more, uh, uh, I call them desperation trades, but, you know, trades of, you know, by the people in, in front trying to add a, a big name um, and so giving up money, a lot of times money, and, and I think that's reflected in the fact that David and Brandon probably have the two lowest uh, uh, salary uh, or budgets uh, going into this next season before we start deducting for keepers and things. Right. Um, but that's because they gave up money for players to try and add them and, and you know, uh, boost their possibility of winning. Um, and that, in turn, has raised the budget for a lot of the, uh, a lot of players going into this season. Um, so. Yeah, and it, it's it's always tricky when you're in competition, and you're looking for a little bit of an edge. But those kinds of guys can be costly, and you're getting them for a fraction of a season, at best half the season, probably more like a third or a quarter of the season. Right. And anything can happen with any player in a third or a quarter of a season. A guy like Mookie Betts can have like an average couple of months where he's just not anything great. So you're paying for something that has a higher variance because you're not getting the full season of numbers. You're getting part of a season. And what if you get the bad part of the season? And maybe he doesn't even help you. Maybe he hurts you. And so that's that's kind of the scary thing when you're buying players like that, um, is you're paying for them, and it, it's a little more uh, not as confident in what you're going to get out of them. Okay, moving on to next season, um, just kind of some preliminary discussion about what it's going to look like if there are going to be any changes we want to discuss. 
so first of all, Brian is out. Brian's not going to play this season, uh, so we need to look for a replacement. Um, so as far as who the next man up is, what do we know about that at this point? Um, I, I don't know anything in particular. I extended an invitation to someone uh, with the caveat that there may be others ahead of them that have already been invited. Eric had someone. Um, I know um, we have a former player. I don't know if we're supposed to mention names. Oh, it's fine. Okay, so Justin has been considering joining the league. Um, and I'm sure we'd all love that. It would be fun to have him back in the league. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Everything's more fun with Justin. Yeah. Um, he's, he's really on the fence. Uh, I think you know, he's got a lot of time constraints. And as he stated to me, he just really, really gets into fantasy baseball. And it takes a lot of his time. And he just kind of doesn't necessarily want to put himself in that position. Um, so Justin's still on the fence. But he did say, if we find someone else who's interested, to just give it to him. So that kind of tells you. Well, that gets him off the hook. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, so yeah, I think uh, Uncle E-Trader, uh, Uncle Eric, is, um, I think his colleague is probably our our most likely person at this point, but he's still thinking about it. Um, if he doesn't decide to, who knows, maybe Justin will ultimately, and otherwise we'll just kind of go from there. Um, I guess we'll venture... A uh, very controversial topic about changes. Um, are there any changes either for this coming season or future seasons that are on your mind that you think could improve the league? Um, there's only one that I kind of think about thinking about tossing out there. Um, but uh, there's a couple of others I'll throw out there just that I think other people feel strongly about. And, you know. Sure. Um, I, I'm not going to mention eliminating net stolen bases. That's Eric's uh, least favorite stat. <laughs> but, and net save holes. Anything net. Yeah, anything net. Eric right? doesn't like nets. <laughs> but um, so, you know, we have, you, you alluded to, we're going to talk about it more later, but fielding percentage. Fielding percentage has been something that I've heard more than one player in the league mention they'd kind of like to see go away. Um, we just to you know be clear we started the league with instead of five by five we started a league with 11 by 11 and the idea was is to try and uh through statistics be more representative of you know performance and that's why we added a, a fielding component to it because we wanted fielding to have some importance and unfortunately the only stat that's really been available to us uh to use um, that we thought was worthwhile was fielding percentage. So, but I know some would like to see that go away. Um, well, on that note, as far as the, the stats we ended up using, I think we mostly, and I think you're right, we did, we did want to try to represent uh, actual you know player value a little more, although my idea of what actually represents that has evolved over time, but... Um, they're mostly the same as the stats of the original league you and I were invited in. Yes. Um, it, although that was a 12 by 12, and I'm looking in for hitting one of the stats is assists. Yes. Um, which is part of the fielding percentage formula. but So they were counting assists and fielding percentage. And then they also counted innings pitched, 
which I know neither yeah. of you, n- neither of us are a fan of, no. um, just because it's not one that really seems to measure a whole lot. You can get those innings pitched anywhere. Um, but other than that, they're the same uh, with some alterations. We don't do shutouts anymore. You know, we do, um, I, I can't remember what we replaced it with. Uh, mm, uh, uh, quality stars. Quality stars, yeah. yeah. Um, and then the stolen bases becoming the net stolen bases and all that. But And saves becoming net saves. Yeah, I think Net we, save holes. I think we liked the stats that we use. It's kind of what, it was the league that, we, that made us fall in love with fantasy baseball, and we just liked it, and so we kept it, and so that's that. I know um, there are some that would like to get rid of complete games, too. That's another one that I've heard some negative well speaking from as one of those people the way i stand right now is like especially since it's becoming the complete games are just becoming more rare and rare because the landscape of pitching has changed so much um i i don't really feel like they're that i mean we've, we i don't have to go into this too much but i just don't feel like it is indicative of a player's value too much at least not compared to the other stats um but I will say, at this point, I feel like I'm really kind of settling in and finally more just accepting that this is our fantasy league, and it isn't necessarily going to represent baseball the way I would like it to, but that's okay. That this is our game. This is just the game we're playing, and Complete Games has always kind of been a part of it. And I mean, if I had my way, would I still get rid of it? Probably. Um, but ultimately, I'm kind of okay with what we have. And I can appreciate it for what it is. Well, I might be willing to go along with eliminating complete games as long as we, we replace it with no hitters. <sighs> so, um, <laughs> I'm not anyway. going to follow that trail of logic. Anyway, no, like there is no me. logic. Um, anyway, uh, one, uh, you know, we've, there's sabermetrics, of course, is becoming, you know, more and more prevalent. And there's one, um, Okay, there's one, there's one stat that out of sabermetrics might be worth using. I've been thinking about is war. I I don't think, yeah. I mean that would be interesting. It's kind of it's really a catch-all statistic, so it's like I almost feel like we'd be doubling up on some things, but it does use other things that you know we aren't fantasy set. I don't think war is an option, um, so I think it's a moot point. Okay, um, but. That would be interesting if it were available. I think in leagues like Fantrax, Fantrax has a lot of different stats we can use um, and is actually much more customizable than Yahoo, but it's also a little messier, the, the, the UI and the, uh, the mobile component isn't as good. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't think we can do that in Yahoo. Okay. Um, a couple things that I had, I'll just cut it down to two because this segment's taking a little bit of time, but um, I'm really interested in increasing the number of active pitching slots we have. Um, right now we have eight active pitching slots. We have two SP, two RP, and four P. But because for the most part we play, I think on average, I think most teams have at least five relief pitchers. They're pitching on a daily basis. That leaves at most three other spots for starting pitchers. And the effect is we have to rotate our starting pitchers in and out. And when that happens, inevitably, at least once or twice a year, just about everyone forgets to put someone in their lineup, forgets to start a pitcher. Um, I don't like that. I, I, 
I, I would like for us to be able to just leave our best starting pitchers in there so that we don't have to remember every time someone's pitching. And if, you know, if we get caught up in our daily business and we forget to check our team, especially mid to late season when our interest has kind of waned a little bit, I, I just hate people missing out for reasons like that. Um, so I, I think I brought it up to you last year a little bit. I don't know if you remember, but... I do. I would like to increase... This wouldn't change the number of roster slots. We would have 25 roster slots still, but you would be able to have up to 10 active pitchers at once. Something like, instead of two starting pitcher slots, you'd have four. Instead of two relief pitcher slots, you would have four. And then reducing the amount of P slots from four to two. So that way you could have your elite guys, your elite starting pitchers in at all times. You would never miss out on their stats. And then you just swap out those back end guys. Yeah, it'd be interesting, and I, I know we need to move on, but um, it would just be interesting to see how uh, adjusting it that way would impact someone's efforts to um, influence, or influence is probably not the right word, but to affect their pitching stats by using more relief pitchers because you're basically cutting them down to four. No, did you say four relief spots? It's four relief spots, but for the... That right now, most people use their two relief pitcher slots and at least three out of the four pitching slots right. to pitch relief pitchers. So five. Um, and up to six. And if you have someone who qualifies as starting pitching, you could pitch up to seven or right. even eight right. if, if you wanted to. And in this way, I don't think that would really affect that because you, you would still have six total slots where you could pitch a standard relief pitcher, which we currently have. Yeah, I, I was off. I, I wasn't thinking oh, that I see. Okay. through clearly. So I, you know, I, I have no objection to, to doing it that way that I can think of right now at least. Okay. Uh, and then one more thing that I am kind of interested in doing is having uh, a games played and innings pitched requirement just to eliminate... Um, the possibility of things like, you know, even I've considered, you know, if my starting pitching starts off bad, I'll just go all relievers for the rest of the year and then just win those big three stats. And I, I, if I, I did the numbers and I could come out maybe slightly above average in the overall pitching stats if I just threw relief pitchers, top relief pitchers, and then just focused on hitting. I, I don't like that that is something someone could conceivably do. Um, and we've talked about in the past about motivating people to play through the whole season and having a minimum requirement could would motivate people to keep their lineups active. So I remember last year what I did was I looked at how many games played and innings pitched um, all the teams had and I looked at the average and then I came up with like a suggested minimum for at each position and that if people don't meet that minimum requirement then they're just like fined in the draft for next season something off the top of my head like maybe you're fined five bucks for each position that you don't meet the minimum requirement um, so at catcher the average was 137 games played so I would suggest a minimum of like 130 a little below the average uh, for uh, first base 156 for second base 160 Third base, the average was 159. Shortstop, the average was 158. Uh, the outfield, three outfield positions were 156, 157, and 160, and the utility was 159. So for the most part, we're looking at people are averaging 155 to 160 games played 
per position. And my suggestion would be to make the minimum 150, which is even below the average. So just kind of a basic requirement of you got to play 130 games at catcher, 150 games at all the other positions, and then 1,300 innings pitched. Well, I like the concept, and especially some of the things that I see, uh, some of the problems it might resolve. But, um, uh, and this would probably be for further discussion, but I, I think... I think uh, I would like to see the minimums maybe a little bit lower. Um, there's just too sure. many factors that could could put someone or force someone to in strategic ways to make moves that they maybe wouldn't want to or might hurt them. Okay. So, yeah. So that's something we could definitely discuss. But uh, you're kind of interested in the general idea. The general idea has got merit. Okay. A um, couple more notes for uh, this coming season. The opening day is March 26th, which I think is a little earlier than usual. A little bit. Um, so we've we got to discuss a draft day. Um, so I was thinking either Friday the 20th or Saturday the 21st. Um, so people out there listening, if you could kind of check your calendars, and I'll be checking in with you guys soon. That's basically a week before the season starts. Um, I think sometimes we do I've in the past liked to do two weeks before just in case something goes wrong on the day of the draft we can't do it or something and then we have another week to make up in case but I think last year we did it a week before didn't we uh, you've got me on that one I don't remember yeah, and I think we all just hate waiting two <clears throat> weeks <laughs> I think waiting five days is uh, painful enough but okay uh, so we're going to take another quick break here and then we'll kind of enter our last segment um, and then wrap it up Okay, we're back for the final segment, uh, which we're going to look at four teams and their, uh, their potential keepers. Um, we'll look at the bottom four teams last year, and then for the next podcast, we'll do the mid four teams, and then for the uh, third podcast, we'll look at the, the top four teams. Um, so last place uh, was... Who was last place last year, Dad? I don't know. Must have been me. I have no idea. Was it you? I had no idea. Could have been. <laughs> <laughs> now, that said, you kind of expected that, right? Yes. That was what you were thinking was going to happen coming into the season. That's true. Um, I think because you were low on money, and you were just looking to kind of build for 2020. Yeah. I, I, as I was all in the previous season trying to win, I spent a lot of money late in the season Acquiring players and so on and so on. Okay, so uh, I know you, I mean, we generally probably don't want to play our hand too much, but it's kind of, often it's pretty obvious who people's keepers are going to be, um, you know, with a, a few questions here or there, but uh, what are you willing to tell us about uh, your keeper situation? Well, I mean, I think the top five are pretty obvious. Uh, Mike Trout, uh, Mookie Betts. Um, Bellinger, Tatis, and I just spent some money to acquire Eloy Jimenez. So those are my five for certains. Um, I would say um, kind of in this order, um, the sixth man would be Ramon Laureano, um, Urias, pitcher for the Dodgers, and uh, really far out there, but uh, you Darvish, um, no chance of Joey Bart. You know, I mean, so it's an out, really outside chance. Maybe he's ahead of Darvish, really. Now that I think about it, uh, I'd like to keep him because uh, I think 
But by the time he starts coming up and playing with the Giants, you know, his price is going to go up a bit. Yeah, or I can always try and get him, acquire him again in the draft. Uh, yeah, I think Loriano is probably your 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 most attractive sixth keeper option. The only reason I could see why maybe you wouldn't keep him is if a if you can trade him, um, which with the couple of fans in our league, there's strong possibility you could do that, especially. Um, but you already have your three outfield spots covered with Eloy, Trout, and Betts. So he would have to be your utility guy. And I don't know about you, but I generally don't like to have my utility slot already filled up entering the draft. I like to have a little more flexibility um, position-wise there. Yeah, I mean, or I could put him in center field and play Mike Trout in uh, DH or utility. Yeah, but I mean, either way, your utility slot is taken. Yes, if, it is. If you keep Loriano. Yeah, it is. Um, uh, it, that doesn't bother me personally. Um, if I feel like I've got, you know, this extra quality player and not a place for him or not a place I'd have to drop somebody else to play him at a position, I, I don't personally have a, an issue with that. Yeah, I can understand that. It's certainly not a big deal. Um, I guess it's just some, a little, little tinkering stuff. Um, okay, yeah, I, I kind of made a list of players I expect, either expect the team, each player to keep, each manager to keep, or who I would keep if I were them, or a combination of the two, and I, your five are obvious, um, like you already mentioned, and then I kind of expect at this moment, if we were to keep today, I think you would probably keep Loriana, or at least I probably would, um, so that's kind of who I have you keeping currently, and this just gives you... I mean, this is, <laughs> you have like three of probably the top five ranked players in Bellinger, Trout, and Betts, and that's no particular order. I mean, you're paying for Trout and Betts. Yep. I mean, $83 for Trout, that's full price, at least. Yep. Um, and then 48 bucks, I think, is about full price for Betts. So you're paying for them, but I feel like with keepers in the way this league is now, there is an opportunity cost that you kind of have to build into a player's value and so even if you know trout were to go in the 70s you know the fact that no one else has access to him and you do i think that's worth something um so uh, and then fernando tatis it'll be really interesting to see how he does this year um in his second season and then uh i think i think Eloy jimenez was in, uh, uh an interesting buy and i think he could be really really good um, I think he can build off last season, which I think he did well in the second half, if he I did. remember. Yeah. Okay, uh, so moving on to um, Brad's team. Um, who you got for Brad? Uh, I've got uh, Justin Bieber at $29, uh, Grandel at 12 uh, Santana at 11 which I'm not saying I would necessarily keep, Um I could see why he would keep though, and I he's expressed that he probably would keep him. Um, Suarez for seven, Morton for eight, and um, Yates for seven. Uh, yeah, that's who I have him keeping too, and I think it's more of what he's expressed so far. Um, it gives him some nice. Uh, I mean, he's he'd be keeping three hitters. Uh, two starting pitchers and a lights-out reliever, at least for lights-out for last year. 
Um, those guys are so fickle. Uh, but it's a, it's a decent list of keepers at quality prices. Um, Shane Bieber is 29 bucks, but I, I think in the draft he would go more for like 35 or 40. Um, Suarez at $7 with the numbers he put up last year and Morton at $8 with the numbers he put up last year. I mean, those are some really nice values. Um, if I were, if I had his team, I, I would be considering, uh, David Dahl, um, Maybe over Santana, I don't know. Santana was really good last year, but he he does kind of go back and forth. Although it seems like the last couple of seasons he's been a little more consistent. Um, I just think you can probably get Santana for ten to fifteen bucks in the draft. I just don't know that he would go for much more than that. But still, again, opportunity costs and eleven dollars is probably on the low end. Is there any appetite for considering uh, Tommy Pham? Yes. That's a good point. Tommy Pham, yeah, actually, yeah, 16 bucks for Tommy Pham is, that seems to me like a pretty good deal. He got, he just got traded recently. Did he go to San Diego? Yeah. Um, he's, I like Tommy Pham. He's one of those kind of all-around guys. He had 21 home runs, 21 net stolen bases. So this is a 2020 guy. Um, his walk rate was good, 12.4% walk rate, which is above average and his strikeout rate was good below 20 percent it was 18.8 percent that's really good he hit 273 his ops wasn't that great 819 um but it's like not gonna hurt you he just seems like one of those guys that you can play all season and he's gonna give you good quality numbers agreed Agreed. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he does in san diego i would have said Eduardo Rodriguez, because I thought he was a big fan of his, but he's kind of expressed that he's not going to keep him. But he had, what, 18, 19 wins? So. He, he did, yeah. Um, and then Anthony Rizzo, $33 isn't bad. He's kind of leveled off a little bit the last couple of years, it seems like. Is that uh, he regre- I think he's regret. I would not say leveled off. I would say regressed a little bit. Um, um, well, he had 27 home runs, which is... Well, last two years, 25 home runs in 2018, 27 in 2019. That's not that great, especially in today's environment. And, but in the previous four years, he was in the low 30s. So it's not like a huge drop-off. If you look at his slugging percentage, although last year, 520 slugging percentage, that in the last seven, eight years, that's his third best slugging percentage. So that's actually pretty good. And then his OBP was actually the best of his career. It looks like four oh five. So, eleven point six walk rate, fourteen percent K rate. That's really really good. So maybe he did bounce back a little bit last year. Maybe the home runs, the lack of home runs, especially when we saw so many people really bust out in power last year, um, doesn't make him look as great. But his his rate stats are actually were pretty good last year. So maybe Brad should be considering him at $33. I mean, it's probably about what he'd go for in the draft, though. So if he really wants him, he could probably just redraft him at that cost. Okay. Uh, anybody else sticking out to you? No, on? no, not on Brad's team. Yeah. Um, well, Tim Anderson. Oh. And I, I, I mentioned Tim Anderson to Brad because he was one of the guys Brad specifically drafted last year because he liked him the year before. I didn't really that much. I, I 
because he got a lot of stolen bases and he had 20 home runs, but everything else was kind of ugly. But last year he hit 335. Yeah, and I'm, I totally... When I was looking down the list of his team, somehow I missed Tim Anderson. He's got to be at least someone you consider. I mean, 18 home runs, 12 net stolen bases isn't great. That's kind of middling. The batting average is so nice. But here's the thing. He he does not walk. 2.9% walk rate is really, really low. Um, 21% strikeout rate. He did improve on his strikeout rate from the year before by 3.5%, which is really good. Um, but his bab was really high at 399. Being a fast guy, um, he probably profiles as having a higher babbit, but I, I probably wouldn't expect him to hit 335. Projections got him for 275, which sounds like a good starting point to me. Um, maybe he could do a little bit better than that, but um, yeah, I, th- I think he's worth considering at five bucks, but I don't think Brad's considering. I don't think Brad is really interested in that. Um, okay, moving on to. Uh, Scott's team. Um, what do you got for Scott? Well, um, I know Scott's very money con. Oh, just before I we jump move on, I did do a little figuring. If Brad kept the guys that I originally listed, he would leave him with two hundred and nine dollars to spend in the draft. Wow, that is a lot of money for Brad. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. So then uh, Scott. Uh, I've got him with Lindor, uh-huh. uh, Arenado, I agree. Soto, yep. uh, Castillo, because I know he's expressed that he, you know, intends to, to keep uh, Castillo. Yes. Um, and then um, uh, Ros- Eddie Rosario. I th- think he's kind of alluded that he was going to keep him, and and Josh Bell. Yeah, the I, I I agree with five out of six of those, and Eddie Rosario is a tricky one because he started off really hot last season, and he he kind of came down a little bit. He wasn't bad; he was still good, but his numbers kind of uh, regressed a little bit more towards his career averages, if I recall. Um, and he's still a really good deal at that price, um, but again, he's one of those guys that does not walk. Three point seven percent walk rate is really bad. Um, but his strikeout rate was really good. He, in fact, he improved on the previous season by three percent, which is that's really good. But he ended up with an eight hundred OPS, and two seventy six is that's a quality batting average today. But eight hundred OPS is not that great. Thirty two home runs, but he did have ninety one runs and one hundred nine RBIs. So he's gonna be a good player in someone's lineup. I just don't know that Scott is gonna use a keeper spot for him. Well, that's possible. I, it, that's not somebody I would keep, but I heard rumors from others who had spoken with him that he intended to keep him, but maybe that was just a ploy. Um, Starling Marte is another name that I, is a name I would put out there um, for him for keeping. Yeah, and he's the guy who I actually kind of have him down for right now. Um, Marte, uh, another low walk guy. Jeez, 4.3%. That's, again, really bad. Uh, but his OPS was much higher. It was 845 last year, better than Rosario. Not quite the power, 23 home runs, but more stolen bases. He had 19 net stolen bases. Um, so I don't know. It's kind of a toss-up. He's paying more money for Marte, but might be getting a little bit of a better player. Um, that Twins lineup sure looks really good this year, though. Um, 
So maybe that makes Rosario a little more attractive because of his lower cost. So it'll be interesting to see which way he goes on that. But I expect he, he'll probably make a move or two. Um, and then, you know, we'll see if there's another player that gets added up to the mix. Well, if he kept Rosario and then all the other players mentioned, that would leave him with $163 to spend. Okay. That's, uh, it's not bad. It's obviously not Brad-level money, but... Right. Uh, yeah. Okay, so last team, uh, me, uh, I guess I'll kind of, uh, I'll take the reins here. I, right now, definitely Bregman, Rendon, Snell, and Sonny Gray, and then um, Moncada. Uh, I already have Rendon at third base, and it's taken up my utility spot to have Moncada, but if he continues to develop, um, which I think is a reasonable thing to expect, he's... Uh, four bucks that's even if he's just sitting on my bench or sitting in my utility slot four bucks is nothing and for a guy that's you know, could be on his way up and then my last spot right now i think uh kyle tucker uh we'll see how things go in spring training i like his chances to get some playing time this year and he was a huge minor league guy um in fact he's been kind of waiting to be called up for the last couple of seasons and he finally got some decent time last year so i think he's worth keeping for three bucks. I just don't have very many other guys that are worth considering. I like Jose Ramirez, but again, w with Rendon and Moncada and Bregman qualifying at third base, I just don't really have room for him. And he just kind of had that really nasty first half. Um, so I, I don't think I want to keep him at 35, um, considering my positional needs. Gary Sanchez started off so well last year, but uh, he, he really tailed off. So I'm not keeping him at 27. Um, Michael Conforto I really like, but I, I just don't know that he'll go for more than what his keeper cost is. Um, so I don't know. Do you, what are your thoughts on some of those guys? Um, well, I had you down for Bregman, Rendon, Snell, Moncada, um, Tucker. And then did you say Gray? I said Gray, Okay, yes. yeah, so Gray. Those are the, the players that I had you down for keeping and that I would – probably could keep. I mean, you've got some good names at the high end, but I can't see you spending $47 for Trey Turner. No. Uh, the Ramirez, 35 and I don't think Ramirez, is he, is he second base eligible again? He's not. Time? He's third no. base only. Okay. And so and then Sanchez. I thought you might be considering Castellanos. I thought you were kind of a fan of his. But um, but anyway, I, I pretty much ag agree with the ones that you've mentioned. And were you to do that... Uh, you would have two hundred and thirty-seven dollars to spend on the draft, Ooh, which is a lot of money. money. Yeah, that would open you up for being able to draft some really big names, and especially with pitching. Which is what I'm going to have to do because I don't have the hitting keepers that you or someone like Danny has. You guys just have ridiculous hitting keepers, and I don't have the pitching keepers that someone like Brandon has. Brandon's are just a. a He's got four like amazing starting pitchers right now uh, that he can keep, and we'll we'll dig into his team in another episode. But um, my team's a little more the value's a little more spread out. Um, you know, a guy like Tucker, Moncada, and Gray—they're not like elite options. They're really good options, but they're not elite. Um, I, my elite guys are Rendon, Bregman, and Snell. But if if I'm gonna compete this year uh, with uh, some of the keepers you guys have, I'm going to have to get do some damage in the draft. Well, and but like I said, it also opens you up because I see Max Scherzer's going to be available. DeGrom's probably going to be available. Um, <clears throat> um, Chris Sale, 
Uh, and these are some of the bigger names, Severino, Carrasco, and possibly Noah Syndergaard. Now, I don't know if you're going to want all those guys, but they're certainly going to be available. Yeah, those are a lot of options. And I even like... Starting pitching seems really deep to me this year. There's a lot of guys ranked 60, 70, even 80 who are guys like I'm really interested in taking a shot on. So I don't think it's going to be too hard to find guys that I'm interested in at pitching, um, including, like you just mentioned, at the top. Um, yeah. So I, I like having that kind of money going into the draft this year. This is a good season for it. Okay, uh, for the last part of the episode, I want to talk about um, one of our uh, categories, fielding percentage. Um, it's a tricky one to kind of understand. I don't know that everyone knows uh, the formula for fielding percentage, and I want to talk about how I kind of tackle fielding percentage to try and take advantage of um, uh, the strategies that you can employ to increase your team's fielding percentage because it's more than just um, getting... Uh, uh, getting players that have good fielding percentage. There's more to it than that. Uh, so a couple seasons ago, I did a write-up on fielding percentage. I don't know how many people read it, um, but I'll just kind of go through the main points. Uh, first of all, fielding percentage, uh, the formula is you take a player's put-outs and assists, and that ends up being the numerator of the fraction. And the denominator is put-outs plus assists plus errors. And then you just divide those two numbers, and that gets out your fielding percentage. So someone who has zero errors, their fielding percentage would be one. Uh, that'd be a thousand. Um, the more errors you have, the more that number goes down. Now putouts and assists. Um, putouts are the is the actual player who gets the player out. That counts as a putout. And assists is essentially if you've touched the ball leading up to the out, uh, you qualify as an assist with uh, certain little fine little details there, but. Um, so what I did to kind of analyze the impact of the different positions was I looked at the top 30 players um, in innings played at each position. And I think this is from 2018. And this is according to fan graphs. Um, then I adjusted the numbers to reflect per thousand innings played at each position. It's kind of hard for me to understand to express exactly what I did here, but... Um, and then I looked at the fielding percentage of the average catcher um, and then compared that to the other positions and what to try and determine which positions impact fielding percentage the most. Um, and then once you've determined that, you can use that to your advantage. So uh, when I looked at catcher, um, the top 30 catchers Average a 993 fielding percentage. And one of the reasons they average such a um, high fielding percentage is because they get credit in fielding percentage for strikeouts. So yeah. I, I assume, I think they get credit with a put out. I'm not sure whether they get put up with, is a, a put out? It's either put out or an assist, but they it's get credit out. for that. It's put out, I'm pretty sure. Um, so, uh, they average uh, 993 putouts plus assists per thousand innings pitched, and they average um, a thousand putouts plus assists plus errors for every thousand innings played. And so that makes a 993 fielding percentage, and that accounts for actually 25 percent of your fielding percentage statistics. 
Um, now, that is a little mitigated in our leagues because catchers don't get as many games played. So it's probably not quite 25% of your actual fielding percentage statistics, but it might be more like you know 21-22%, but it's very impactful. Uh, first baseman, uh, they average a 995 fielding percentage, and they account for 25%, again, of your fielding percentage statistics. So if you can get two true first baseman in your lineup playing one at first base and one at utility or maybe those guys that qualify at first and outfield you can get one of those guys who are actually playing first base but you put them in your outfield slot that is huge so getting two true first baseman in your lineup will really impact your fielding percentage very positively um, the positions that don't impact fielding percentage too much are um, the outfield positions and second base uh, the outfield positions because they just don't get very many putouts and assists or many errors. So they don't account for very much of that formula for your team. Second baseman, they actually count for the third most. They count for 13% of your stats, but they average 983 fielding percentage, um, which is pretty close to um, the average, I think, which is 987 for like a full team. Um, yeah, if I, if I combine all of the positions together, the average comes out to 987 fielding percentage. And they come out to 983, so they don't really vary too much from the average. So if you have a decent fielding second baseman, they're not going to move the arrow very much in either direction. But the worst, uh, the worst two are shortstop and third base. Shortstop accounts for 12% of your fielding percentage statistics, assuming you're playing one of each position. Right. Um, and their fielding percentage average is 976, which is 11 points lower than average. So they do hurt you a little bit, unless you can find a really good fielding, uh, fielding shortstop who doesn't commit many errors. Um, but the worst one is third base. They only account for 7%. And I think the reason for that is they don't get put outs. Um, they're pretty much mostly assists. They're fielding the ball and then throwing to first base and getting that assist. Um, but they just don't... In fact, they get... Uh, about the same amount of opportunities as a separate center fielder does. Um, center fielders get a bunch of putouts. Third baseman get some assists, and yeah, it's about the, equal. There's not many putouts at third base. Right. Just said. So despite the fact that they only count for 7% of the numbers that are in your formula, they average a 961 fielding percentage. Really bad. That's 26 points below. Um the average and I looked at if I look at this formula where I have all the positions put in and I've got it averaged out if I take out the third baseman um, it increases my team's fielding percentage from 987 to 989 it's a two-point difference yeah so they're gonna hurt your team's fielding percentage there's just no way around it um, even the really good third good fielding ones who can manage like a 970 or 975 fielding percentage, which is really like that's elite level, even they are going to hurt your fielding percentage. So, um, the conclusion that I came to was that you don't want people who are actually playing third base in your lineup, you want people who are actually playing first base and actually playing catcher in your lineup. If you do that, um, you're going to have improved fielding percentage for your team. Good observation. Do you have any questions, or did that no, kind of make sense? No, that was sense? great. Yeah. Okay, well, there you go. Uh, there's how you guys can tackle fielding percentage this year. Uh, catchers and first baseman good. 
third baseman back. All right, well, that concludes uh, our first episode of the Web Gems Fantasy Podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Dad. Thanks for having me. Um, it was fun exploring all these things, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, seeing you guys in episode two.